Hey folks, Richard Tubb here with another interview and I'm excited today. I'm in Paris for Datocom 19 and I'm joined by Tim Weller. I was going to say the new CEO of Dato, <laughs> but it's been a year now, hasn't it? It's so. been a year since Austin uh, Austin stepped up to the board and uh, and uh, handed the reins over. And uh, yeah, the board made it official on Jan 1, but uh, it's been a fast year. Yeah, so Austin grew the business from zero, uh, basically Austin McCord, up to 14,000 uh, MSPs. Mm. Um, incredible. Uh, how do you step in to those yeah. big shoes? And I know you've already grown the business a great deal again, but tell me what the first yeah. year has been like for you as CEO. It's been uh, it's been a blur. The channel's moving fast, and so is Datto. Um, I had a, a terrific opportunity to see um, Kevin Johnson, the new Starbucks CEO, and uh, you know he succeeded Howard Schultz, founder, of, you know, and, and I think run the business for forty years or something like that. And he had a great line about you know along the lines of, of of wisdom to to understand what's best about the company and what your predecessor did, and courage to change things that need to change as, uh, as, as you're growing. And uh, by the way, Starbucks opening a Starbucks every 30 minutes around the world. So wow. I, I just still can't process that <laughs> metric. Um, and so, uh, you know, Austin and I have had a great relationship and, and he gave me advice on, on, on his last day to basically say, uh, don't try to be me. Um, you know, this is a great business, uh, you know, follow the channel and, uh, and it'll take care of it, it, itself. And so I think, uh, you know, people ask me about Austin versus Tim a lot. And I, what I've said to people is it's, you know, we think about the business very, very similarly, and what's different now is just scale. And and he even noticed that in his last couple of years. You know, we're seventeen hundred employees, sixteen thousand partners, and the hallmark of data was those close personal partner relationships. Um, you could, in the early days, often just get Austin on the phone. You're calling tech support, and it might go right through to him. And you know, we'll do anything for a partner. And so we still want to, and, and we'll make those promises. Now, how do we deliver on those at scale? So then it becomes down to business process, um, you know, software systems, uh, training. The culture is still the same, but can you execute at uh, at larger scale? And, and and this is this next phase of the journey. Say next three to five years, is where some companies start to feel like a big company, yeah. and, and and you'll get the cultural pulse here at Paris. I, I would love your feedback at the end to see does this still feel like a datocon? Does this still have that uh, that fun? Part we know we've got the great tech. Does it still have the place, the feel of the place you want to go? Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely, you know. it does. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you more feedback on later. But I'm fascinated with your background. I think it's you know the path that's led you to being CEO. So you've got a programming and engineering background. <laughs> I've heard you talk about you. You grew up like me. I started off with the, an Atari 600 XL, learning how yeah. to program yeah. in Basic. And you've talked about Basic and Fortran. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about your background. What brought sure. you to here? Yeah, my first serious machine was an Atari 800. There you go, the big brother uh, to the 600 yeah, XL. I actually yeah. uh, started on a Commodore PET, if you remember back with the chiclet keyboard. And, yeah. But uh, that was just down <laughs> at the library. Nobody owned computers. And I shelled out every uh, every bit of, of money I had from all my odd summer jobs when uh, I was a kid and, and really emptied the bank account and made a bet on an Atari 800, which was brilliant because I became a video game designer. And so it ended up almost immediately leading me to lucrative work as a software developer. And I was still in, not quite in, in, in university, had some full-time job offers in the video game industry, but decided uh, to go to school and um, stayed in university for a decade. So I, I pursued a PhD and assumed I would be a professor. I just loved computer science and math. And, and then something strange happened, which was uh, I had this thought that you only get you know, one chance to sort of set yourself down a career path. 
And uh, for reasons I, I won't dive into, I, I went to Wall Street. I had never honestly visited New York even. Just thought it was exciting. And uh, I covered technology, telecom in particular, and the future of the internet. This is early 90s. So it was just all exploding around us and uh, so much fun. And I got to meet CEOs of companies all around the world who were trying to think about their broadband strategy, their wireless strategy. You know, it's, it's hard to think about now. We used to use copper wire yeah. and pay telephones, you know, the red phone booth <laughs> in, in, in your native uh, land. And so, uh, you know, that was it. I had a nice uh, ride in the 90s in a bull market there and learned so much about where the world was going. And, uh, and then one of uh, the companies I, I was interacting with um, was very small but fascinating called Akamai Technologies yeah. and really not much revenue at all when I was talking to them, maybe a million dollars. And they asked if I'd be their chief financial officer and help take them public. So that was 20 years ago and it's been five operating companies since then. So. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm a, a programmer, a, a, a Wall Street banker, or a, but my core is engineering. You know, and my wife will definitely tell you uh, this. This guy's an engineer, and yeah. I've always been around tech companies now. So Dado is just perfect in uh, in that regard. I love it. I love it. Now, some, you referred to earlier about like the pulse of what's happening with the MSP community. Something that I've noticed is there has been a, a significant upswing in uh, acquisitions, MSP yes. acquisitions. So I spoke to on an earlier episode of the podcast. I spoke to Mitesh Patel, who's the uh, CEO of uh, FIFOSIS. We did a whole episode about uh, MSP acquisitions. Um, how do you see the market, and why suddenly now uh, are MSPs acquiring other MSPs? Yeah, there's there's so many reasons. I mean, it's it's common. I've been in a lot of industries within tech, and it's common at this phase of an industry. We, you know, if we have sixteen thousand partners, surely you know the upper quartile are executing better at some level and getting some scale and are just more mature businesses, and so they start looking at at the rest and and, and saying, can we gain scale? So that's that's evolution of restaurants or hotels or really any industry. So it, it's it's another signal, yet another signal that the channel's growing up. Um, there are real synergies in all tech businesses when you do M&A if you've got your tech stack in order. So, you know, Matesh is a good example. I mean, he's running a very tight operational business and then buying younger MSPs who are less mature, you get you get margin expansion. And so it becomes this opportunity to get not only scale on the on the revenue side, but really quite a bit of operating leverage from profits. You know, Datto sees it because we'll have two partners that merge, and if they're both Datto partners, that's great. If one or the other is a Datto partner, then uh, we view it as a fresh chance to go into the one that's not and talk about the the suite. Um, of course, in general, we'd rather the acquirer, you know, be on Datto because then they've standardized on us and they they bring it in. So we've generally been a beneficiary of that. Um, you know, when we think about our partners uh, give you a sense of scale. We did uh, in Barcelona at DattoCon last year, we did a, an M&A breakout. And my recollection is we had between eight and 10 MSPs. And uh, actually uh, one of our partners, Tim Walker from the UK led a panel that I was on this year. We had a breakout in M&A and I think we probably had 40 to 50 in, in the wow. room. So I mean, just just to give you a sense of the interest and, and not different in the US DattoCons either, just very much, uh, an acceleration there. I think more MSPs are looking than buying right now. A lot of very basic questions about what am I looking for? How big can I buy? How do I do integration after I merge? So I still think if there were 40 or 50 people in the room, you know, maybe five or six of them are actually acquiring. 
but definitely, uh, definitely a trend we're seeing. Mm. So we talked about maturity levels the, uh, of MSPs. The listeners to this podcast, there's a lot of mature MSPs that listen to that, and I don't just mean in terms of age <laughs> of the owners, uh, but there's a lot of aspiring MSPs listen to this. Yeah. And one of the stats that you shared um, uh, during your keynote was that 80% of DataCon attendees use a PSA tool, professional mm-hmm. services automation tool. Mm-hmm. For those MSPs who are like on the fence about, well, why do I need a PSA? What's it yeah. going to bring? How would you describe the benefits of a professional services automation tool to them? Yeah, you know, this is a is a is a, a tool. Every industry that tracks people, the legal accounting, there's there's a PSA tool for domain specific, you know, uses, and this is domain specific PSA tools for MSPs. Um, you know, every company in every industry eventually puts in a large piece of software called ERP. Many people wait, you know, till they're 50 million of turnover, you know, to, to do that. But um, Excel spreadsheets only go so far, much as I love Excel. And um, in this business, if you're going to make the move to manage services, if you're going to start charging recurring revenue and, and, and you, you know, using your techs for service desk and, and maintenance, and um, you need to be able to track their time and, and, and which projects they're working on, even in the project work basis or consulting business, and uh, it's just too hard to do that effectively. So I think if you don't want to grow rapidly, you can you can sort of you know, work your own scripts and your own tools and cobble things together. But if you have aspirations for growth, it's the single best investment you can make from a platform perspective. They're not expensive in 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 dollar terms. You know, they're not. Uh, um, prohibitive. It's the commitment to them and doing the integration and the setup right that really is where people find they they live or die. And yeah. uh, you know you can burn hundreds of hours of time. And we generally encourage people to what I would call accept the defaults. You know these tools are very well thought through and used by tens of thousands of MSPs. And mostly the options on the menus that <laughs> the default are pretty close. And then as time goes on, you start to adapt them to your business, but in many cases, if you're small, adapt your business to the tool. This is really, I'm old enough to remember when before Salesforce, it was Siebel and you bought CRM in a box. (laughs) The hallmark of Salesforce was this new category really, and young businesses bought Salesforce and they just adopted it. And it was the seven stages of selling in the sales pipeline. And so the tool was good, but the business process that went with it, here's how you sell. And I think this is, here's how you MSP for the smaller ones. For the big MSPs, of course, they've got their 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 playbook already done and they have to adapt the tool to their playbook, and yeah. which is why we make it highly configurable. But for young ones, I would do everything I could, whether it's ours or, or a competitor, yeah. to try to just get on the standard platform. Very, very viable tool. And if you want to sell, to tie to your previous question, you know, um, if I'm acquiring and I'm an MSP, I can diligence the business, the, the, the two or three things I'd be looking for. One is recurring revenue, of course. That's the only meaningful number I can pay a big revenue multiple or valuation multiple on. So the more recurring revenue, the much more valuable your business is worth. If you've got a PSA tool, I can come in and understand the business very, very quickly. Doesn't matter to me if I'm on the same tool. It'd be great if it was easy integration, but uh, at least the data is in a structured format and I can look at a year or two of history. And and then, of course, culture fit goes without saying. But uh, yeah, it, there's so many benefits to it on the exit as well as running the business. Yeah, great answer. And some of the feedback I hear from smaller MSPs is, well, we'll put a PSA tool when we get big enough. Yeah. And the answer, at the what I go back to them is, you will be big enough 
if you put a PSA tool in place now because it enables you to grow. And to it's measure. so much easier to put it in now. So I like to joke with my team, we're in the middle of a, of a difficult ERP deployment ourselves for Datto. Now, of course, we don't use PSA. We use an, an ERP because um, we're a, a, a large business. But um, I joke with them. I say at uh, in the very early days of, of Akamai, where I was chief financial officer, we put in Oracle financials. But we were a, a tiny business, and so we were able to just take it out of the box and put it in and choose default on everything. The same advice I just gave, it was the easiest ERP deployment I've ever done. And then we just evolved as the business grew. We modified the Oracle financials. They grew with us. Yeah. And uh, it's so much easier to put it in when you're young, I think, is, is really the, it's the foundation of a house. It's the same thing. You exactly. can build it later, but why would you? Yeah, I implemented PSI tool when there was less than five of us within my MSP business yeah. back in yeah. the day. And so, again, yeah. you don't have to break the bank on on the cost side there. You, know, yeah. you don't have to do so much work initially. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dig into some of the news from uh, Datocon, uh, mm. starting with uh, what's happening in Europe, an exciting time for you. Now, your heritage, your family heritage is Finnish. Yeah, right. so my, my mother's yeah. whole side is, uh, is, is, is Finnish, and so we've always identified we were close to her family, and we were just always identified there. Uh, but uh, no, uh, I would be talking second cousins if I went and found them. <laughs> She's given me a list, and I'll be ringing the bell for a stranger, but there's always been, uh, there's been that Finnish spirit, yeah. Yeah, and you're opening uh, new offices uh, in Copenhagen. We are. Yeah. Uh, as part of the Nordic expansion. Tell me more about that. What do the plans for Europe look like? Yeah, so, so you know, we've got the dock region well, well in hand uh, covered out of, out of Munich, and we, of course, travel to all the dock countries. We've, um, we've, we've had a, a long-time office in Amsterdam, and, and the Benelux are there. And we've got a terrific leader uh, who's done a, a number of you know, large enterprise tech software plays, and, and you're a very experienced, terrific leader in Benelux. And so uh, we just started doing the market research. We have a lot of partners in the Nordics. And we started looking over going, you know, it would be not too difficult to cover that a little bit closer from Copenhagen, easy train to Stockholm, you know, short flight to uh, to Helsinki and, and so forth. We have partners in, in uh, you know, all four of the major Nordics. And and as we did the market research, you know, and, and the, the levels of maturity in tech in those are very advanced economies, of course. It appears those markets may at least be the size of uh, of, of Benelux and, and and maybe even a little bit bigger, and they're growing very rapidly. So, mm -hmm. um, so we made the commitment, and that that puts sales and support and you know account management, just puts some of the partner facing stuff in Copenhagen, where we've always had engineers, and uh, so it's uh, it's 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 fun, and I think the rest of Europe is uh, you know we cover of course everything from somewhere, so you know we may cover. Uh, We've got one or two people working from home in, in various countries. We've got some distributors in Italy, for example, a uh, good distributor. But um, you'd see us open offices when in a, in a country whenever we think there's some critical mass about to happen. And, of course, we're sitting here in, uh, in lovely Paris, so you might be able to guess uh, you know, what, what, what the next market could be. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about the tech for a minute. Mm -hmm. one of my favorite subjects. The uh, cloud continuity. Um, during your keynote, you said something I thought was really interesting that I've been sort of banging on about for years. And Clay Continuity, you said, it's not just for disasters. You know, so most yeah. people think of uh, continuity being, oh yeah, there's an earthquake. And, and here in the UK especially, yeah. uh, I say in Europe, it's like, well, we don't experience those same That's sort of right. disasters. But, and, and specifically, I want to talk about the, the, the PC, the resilient imaging. Yeah. Uh, so it's about, I'm excited about that. Tell us a, a little bit more. Yeah, so you know, when, when you do continuity, and so by the way, I agree with your, with your premise there. I mean, I've been in tech long enough to know 
you know, the disaster was was me tripping over the power cord and me <laughs> dropping a magnet near the disk. I mean, it's it's the server crashing. It is it's not the fire. Those are, of course, make big headlines. But, um, you know, maintenance, just normal on and off of, of servers. So we do um, we, we do uh, we do that really well. The resilient imaging. If you're on a server, a Windows server, you get a technology called Windows Snapshots. You can, you can tell Microsoft, pause the server, essentially, in, in lay terms, and uh, give me an image of all everything running, all the applications, and then I'll take that image offline, and then I can virtualize that, right? And that's pretty standard. Uh, it takes a fair amount of work to implement that, and that's what Datto's done. On a laptop or PC, there, there really isn't such a thing. You're in a different OS, and of course, the laptops and PCs are on and off. You might unplug it at the end of the night. You might be traveling on mobile. You might be offline. And so resilient imaging was a, a two-year effort to build the tech to essentially rebuild images in our cloud only. So there's no appliance. And um, every time your laptop is on, you might be at a conference. We're going to grab whatever data has been changed and pull it back, but it's never a full image of your machine that gets pulled back. And so we essentially, it's puzzle pieces, yeah. and our engineers have figured out some algorithms to rebuild those puzzle pieces to say, okay, here's the last known likely good image of Richard's laptop. And uh, you leave your laptop in an Uber here in Paris on the way to the airport, you get back home, you go over to, uh, to a colleague's web browser, and you can run your laptop. You go down to the high street, you buy another laptop, pull you know, whatever you're running in our cloud back onto an image on your laptop. And so you know, people will say, well, I'm not sure I need to virtualize a laptop. And, and the response would be, well, what I just described there, you know, even that one hour, if it's a board meeting, might, might actually be quite worth it. Um, but the ease of virtualizing and then pulling the image back onto the laptop for the MSP which is our lens, means you don't spend an hour or two restoring that and rebuilding all the toolbars and all the config. And yep. it's not file and folder. It just comes back to you. And then, of course, you get screenshot verification, which Datto invented. And, is, and so you sleep at night if you get 1,500 endpoints. And you can look down and go, OK, these 10 did not have a clean backup. Um, why is that? Oh, yeah, that client's at a conference. They must have been offline for a day. Let's let's you know you can so you can monitor and manage this universe, right? It's easy to back up. I'm fond of saying it's easy to back up. It's hard to restore, and you only get paid. It's like the insurance industry. It's easy to take the insurance premiums up front, and you only get paid if you if you actually deliver for me in a in a in a disaster. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm totally sold on the concept. And I, yeah. it's one of those ones. It was like so simple. I can't believe somebody's it, not done it sooner. It's a fun one, and yeah. and it you know it's it's data. We weren't quite sure if if people would find it commercial, but it's it's almost 10% of our US partners are using it. It's only launched commercially a few a few months ago, so we're super excited yeah. to bring it to Europe. We just want to make sure we had all the data centers and obviously data sovereignty, everything is European in the, in the way you'd want to be, and GDPR compliant, et cetera. So Absolutely. it's, yeah. it's going to be great. Yeah. And SaaS protection, I want to touch very briefly on Microsoft Teams. It's an absolute monster growing at a huge, yeah. huge rate. Yeah. Um, so you brought in Teams backup as well, which is a very welcome. And I saw some people cheering we did. Uh, when you do that. Tell us a, bit, a little bit more about the motivation behind that. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you go back as far as you and I do in tech, uh, you know, you think about Netscape versus Internet and the browser wars, and and and, and Microsoft says, "Oh, you know, look at Internet Explorer; it's just been amazing." Well, you know, they've 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 hidden Netscape so far down in in the toolbars you couldn't even find it, right? And they eventually, of course, had a big government case on that. Um, there's a little bit of that going on here. That you know, Teams is a great product, but there's a little bit of if I already have O three six five and I paid for it, I can just toggle a switch and I get Teams, right? So versus you, you think about like Datto as a business as a company we run on Google. 
Google suite and we run on Slack. And so those two are very, very aligned and now Teams is a bit there. And so Microsoft will report these huge seed counts and, and it will remain to be determined what the usage is. That said, it's been a great product and it's clear the usage is, is, is rolling. And if you use it even for 10 minutes, you want to be able to, to back up all of that data. And, and, and I think doubly so for Teams, because as people come and go from end user companies, you want to go, where was that thread for marketing? Well, those two people left. Well, they actually posted the documents in there too. And you want to be able to index and search. This has really been the hallmark. So we're sitting here already doing SaaS protection. And I have been blown away by the millions of times, millions of objects that people need to restore. And, you know, and we think about it as, again, you know, disasters. Forget about that. Microsoft's not going to ultimately you know, lose your data center. Um, but it's more the real time, where's my data? And it's rogue employees. It's fat fingering on the keyboard. I've wiped out all the accounting uh, spreadsheets. And you don't notice it, and they just disappear in the cloud. You know, it's not like the PC. We're used to sort of be able to see it, or you can back it up and put it in a drawer. It's a very uh, ambiguous concept. And, and so we find partners and users all the time losing their data. So on the back of SaaS, SharePoint, Teams, it's just we think there's a whole path of value-added services that the MSPs are going to profit from that in total will add up to multiples of the margin they're getting on the actual O365 seat. Right, whether it's VDI and all, you know, this whole sort of new cloud world, there's going to be these new revenue streams that open up. Um, but you have to focus on the margin, of course, yeah. if you're the MSP. So, so that's the data lens, and we we've been hearing teams, and we now think it's a it's it's a real margin opportunity at scale. So, 200 million O365 seeds. Um, which is just staggering. So if you're an MSP and don't know what to do today, go sell some SaaS protection to, to anybody. This is a, a, a product you can ring the bell on a new client and they can say, well, I've got this wonderful MSP over here. And you say, well, I'd like to talk about 0365 and I'm going to put some teams on there. I'm going to do some, maybe some Vade email security with our partner Vade and a little bit of a bundle. You might even be able to just get your nose under the tent, so to speak, in uh, using that kind of a tool. Absolutely makes That's sense. It. And yeah. it's going to be very exciting uh, because there's the prevalence of 0365 in Europe. So we're coming towards the end of our time. Just before we go, I always do this with new CEOs. Okay. I reached out to people and I said, who is Tim Weller? What do we think of him? <laughs> and the feedback I got was that you're a great leader, but also a devoted father ah. as well. Um, tell me, what does it mean to be a good CEO and a good dad? Yeah, gosh, um, that's uh, you, you've caught me off guard with that because usually, <laughs> you know, I'm on the road almost every week in, in long hours, so I feel uh, I feel uh, you know like a bit rubbish on the dad front sometimes. Um, it's not the feedback I get. Yeah, I've had a few things. I mean, we definitely try to FaceTime, and you know, as you'd expect, uh, I try to focus a little bit during the weeks on on helping kids with homework if I can block even a half an hour or you know an hour if I'm a bit lucky. Tough in Paris, but. There was a math test this week, I will tell you, and I stayed up uh, till the wee hours to, mm -hmm. to be involved. Um, you know, I've gone back and forth. I've actually had some years off between jobs. These are hard jobs. Executive jobs are 24-7, really. And, and so in between them, when I've been able to, I've taken a year or two. Uh, and so I've spread some retirement out between my five operating tours. And then the kids have me full time. And so then they want me back you know, out of the house, or at least at least my wife does. So <laughs> I think, uh, you know, but what, what, what sways me a little bit in that is I didn't really want to model an image of, uh, of me sitting around the house, you know, so they, they have to see at least for the trade-off that they can't be with me and I can't be with them during the weeks often, 
is that they see hard work being modeled. You know, if you want to rise in your career, if you want to do interesting things, work with interesting people, make a paycheck, um, you know, it's it's not uh, it's not professional YouTube watcher, um, which is you know, of course, what my teenagers <laughs> and everybody else's teenagers. How do how do I get paid doing this? And these YouTube stars are are really making it difficult to parent because they're just sure they're going to be rich, uh, you know, by uh, by just sort of goofing off on on, on videos. And so uh, yeah, it's good. No, it just it helps them. We we focus like you might imagine on STEM and. And trying to keep, uh, you know, let's just keep our math and science, you know, s strong guys. And, and I, I'd love it if they uh, if they became programmers too, of course. Well, as a stepfather, I've got a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. Good uh, advice. I might tap you up for more advice on that as we go forward. So. Yeah, and I've, I've actually brought them with the summer uh, for three weeks a, a bit on my... European work tour. We're so big over here. I keep coming and I want to invest more. So we did, you know, London and you know, we did some of the offices and then they just toured the cities while I was on the work day and, uh, and managed to stop by, uh, by Finland too, which is, uh, very, very strange because it's light uh, all but four hours. So yeah. <laughs> the kids were up on very weird cycles. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, and I highly recommend that, uh, that tour because uh, we had we had a ball. Fantastic, Tim. Thanks for your time today, and congrats on a really successful first year. Thank you. Here's looking forward to maybe this conversation again in Berlin at DatoCon 2020, and we'll see where we are then. It's uh, it's a date, and we're 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 glad to have you here too. Glad you're enjoying the show. Cheers. Thank you, mate. All right, take care. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. 